0: You're listening to The Holy Shift Podcast. I'm Scott Neal, your host. This podcast is designed to help change how we see everything. Today I'm sitting down with Lana, my lovely wife of 31 years. She and I have journeyed a long way. We've learned a lot and we still have a lot we want to learn. And at least we're learning it together. Lana is not only my wife and best friend, but she's also the mother of our three adult children and the grandmother of our two perfect grandsons. Lana also is on staff at Forest Park Church, the church we've pastored for nearly twenty years. So sit back, relax, and enjoy our conversation. Well, Lana, it has been several years since you and I have actually sat down together and done a podcast live.
1: I know. It's so great. You know, when um, you started your podcast, mm-hmm. you know, back in you know, three years ago, I think It was
0: 2017, I, believe I can't even remember. Yeah.
1: It's been so long um, that you asked me to be your first guest. I was so honored. And now you're in the process of relaunching. Right. And um, just kind of calling people, interviewing again. And I'm very honored to be your first guest. Well, on your relaunch. I'm glad
0: you are. I, I can't know. think of a better guest to have. In the relaunch of the podcast. I appreciate
1: that. I I love being here.
0: Well, I'm glad you are. Well, over the last few years, a lot of things have changed in our life and in the life of the world, which we'll get into maybe a little further into today's uh, time. But absolutely, the most beautiful thing that has happened to both of us is that we became grandparents.
1: Yes, we did. Absolutely.
0: How has that been for you?
1: Well, you know, it just is one of those things. People say it is so amazing, and it absolutely is true. I feel like that when Grayson was born um, in January of 2019, that there was a part of me that needed hope, that needed to believe again. And I— absolutely was not prepared for the fact that that baby would bring so much hope. Yeah. You know, watching uh, Cameron become a mom, and watching uh, Bryson become a dad, and watching you become a granddaddy, and then, you know, me, you become Poppy, me become Nana, yeah. that it just reminded me that there is new life, there's new birth, there's a freshness that babies bring into this world, mm-hmm. and it helped me just kind of remember why we do what we do. And uh, then, of course, Elliot came along um, last year in uh, April of 2020, you know, born in the middle of the pandemic. I was sitting in the parking lot, Ashlyn having that baby, Um, Josh up there with her, you know, because we were restricted to the one guest, and just waiting out in the parking lot, praying and trusting and believing that everything was going to go okay and not knowing but intrinsically feeling that something was wrong and she was having a really hard time. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was really hard, but he is here and he is so sweet, he is that chunky baby that we post on Facebook all the time and is so happy and uh, they're doing such a great job. So yes, unequivocally, grandparenting has changed my outlook on everything so you're right
0: i uh, i had no idea how i would feel you know i grew up as an only child as most people who attend forest park or at least know a little bit about me uh my grandfather died when i was four uh so i you know I, i i just didn't know what to expect with grandkids and grandparents and all of that and people told me how beautiful it would be To be honest, I didn't know that I believed it until Mm -hmm. I saw Grayson and until I saw Elliot. And there was such a a warmth that came over me um, just to know that our kids were having kids, you know, and today when either of them come to our house and, you know, they... Right now, you know, Grayson runs in and Elliot mm-hmm. kind of waddles in. he's yeah. walking and they come up to us or want us to pick them up or anything. It's just a uh, it's a joy.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's a real joy. It's been so wonderful. That's been fun. Um, brand new uh, perspective on so many things as a result of being a grandparent. Yeah, I well, agree what
0: One of the reasons that I enjoy interviewing you is because I'd like to introduce you to new people um a lot of people do not really know you at an intimate level and i want people to get to know you a little bit better okay so you know one of the things that i have always been amazed at when it comes to your abilities is you pick up languages quickly Hmm. i remember when you and i first met in college you know i was just amazed at how quickly you picked up sign language um, you were hanging around some people who could speak Spanish and you were immediately being able to process, you know, words and use those words. And it's, it's a joy for me today to not only be around you when you speak Spanish or when you interpret uh, for someone who is deaf, but now you're actually teaching spanish at a local school and the week that we're recording this podcast you've been getting your classroom ready and students are coming back next week yes so i just want you to just take a moment how does that feel you know having that love for other cultures and language and now today to be able to stand in front of a group of students and introduce them not only to the language but i know i see the preparation behind the scenes you do your best to introduce them to the culture and the love you have for hispanic people across our world Mm -hmm. so just just tell us a little bit about that experience right now
1: yeah from a young age i had a real sense of culture Um, i grew up in eastern north carolina um in Duplin County, shout out to all the Duplin County folks, right. Tar Heel for Life, University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, love Tar Heels. So I really was a Southern girl at heart and um, never really got the chance to go to school with kids who looked a lot differently than me I never got the opportunity to experience different cultures Um, my mom and dad gave us a wide range of educational experiences but we didn't travel internationally and so it I felt like that um, my world was very small and then when I was a junior in high school there was a student That came to stay, not with my family, but another student that was an international exchange student, and she was from Bolivia. Mm -hmm. And I totally became um, focused on getting to know her. It just was such a desire for me to know her to know her culture to know her family. I was so amazed of the fact that here she was the same age as me, 16, 17 years old and had left the comfort of her home to come live in eastern North Carolina. Yeah. For and it was very hard for her. She missed her family, but I was just so inspired by her desire to learn English. And I remember thinking, I want to speak Spanish as well as she speaks English mm-hmm. to be able to communicate. And uh, so I began taking my Spanish classes very seriously. Um, And then I was able to go to um, Mount Olive College, Mount Olive University for one year and had an honor scholarship there, which I focused on Spanish. And uh, then, of course, you know, we went on to, um, I get my degree in education. We met in Bible College and global outreach has been a big focus of our, our career, our lives, our family. And So that's just always who I was. And as we started going to Ecuador over the years, the desire to be Independent. That's always been a big part of who I was. Yeah. And I wanted to be independent. I wanted to be able to communicate with those children and adults with what I wanted to say to them. And it's not takes, have to always go through. Yes, the interpreter. not always have to go through an interpreter. Most people, I think, are satisfied with that. Mm-hmm. But I just was not satisfied. Something
0: gets lost in the interpretation almost. I, every I time.
1: really do yeah. believe that. I think interpreters are um, so gifted to be able to communicate the. Um, heart and passion behind what someone's going to say. But when you're able to do that yourself, you can look into someone's eyes and really understand what I call their heart language. You are speaking in their heart language and you're understanding their heart language. So yes, absolutely. Uh, Teaching Spanish, I kind of fell into that as a favor for a friend, but I became, um, it's been such a good thing for me to give me a different focus. It's helped me with my Spanish. But I think what I'm most excited about is to introduce those high school students and those elementary students to a culture outside of their world, just like I was yeah. when I was their age. Now, what,
0: what grades are you teaching? You well, elementary and high school. Yeah, yeah. I do,
1: kindergarten through fifth grade. Yeah. Um, they rotate on a daily basis. But the students that I see every day are the college prep Spanish 1 and Spanish 2. Yeah. They have to have those two years in order to go to a four-year university. So I take it very seriously, the fact that this is their language preparation to be able to go to their next part of their education. And it is such an honor to be able to be a part of that. But I don't want them just learning Spanish. I want them to learn a love for culture and a love for people. And sign language just kind of came to me, um, Again, when we were in college, I met someone who was deaf and it's like, how are you going to communicate with someone who's deaf unless you learn sign language? And that came very quickly. I just loved it. I know you can remember. I I became fluent very quickly. And so I think some people just have an aptitude for language, you know, sometimes I I, (laughs) I don't No, you don't. You do very well, though. You have mastered the English language. I try. Well, I mean, you're but a great it. communicator. You know, everybody hears you on Sunday. Sometimes I really mess up the English language. But yeah. um, I do love language. And I love more than the language, the people that it represents.
0: Well, I I, I enjoy standing on the sidelines and just watch you use sign language to communicate, Spanish to communicate. You know, it just, it's it's amazing to me. You know, the literally billions of people around our world Mm -hmm. and hundreds and hundreds of millions of them do not speak English, which means if we don't have the ability to speak at least another language, there are hundreds of millions of people that are shut out from the things that we want to say to them and things they want to say to us. What is it like to watch an elementary, you know, uh, students' eyes kind of brighten or... When they get a word and they they practice that word and they come in, I mean, that's got to be rewarding to you.
1: What I love about working with elementary age children is that a lot of the biases that get built into them over the years, you know, they almost get jaded. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of times with early elementary, you're not seeing any of that. They are just so proud to be able to learn something other than their home language and uh, so it is very rewarding to see them fall in love not just with the language but with the culture and I know that I have a small part of expanding their world and again it's just like with any other skill there are some you know elementary students that um, they master that very quickly and some work a little bit harder but it is just really impactful knowing that I have a small part in the expansion of their global focus. Yeah. You know, I think about sometimes when I'm teaching is that I am teaching future CEOs. Mm-hmm. I'm teaching future business owners. Right. I am teaching people that are going to need the building block of this language in order to grow in their life, in order to grow in their business, in order to even grow in their faith. Um as we've seen, students who have gone with us to Ecuador, how important yeah. that that is. So, I mean, it's not to me. It's not just teaching a couple of hours at Albemarle every day. It is knowing that it is as much a part of ministry as it is what I do here.
0: Yeah, that's great. Well, you mentioned a few minutes ago about how you know we met in college and and got together and I watched you learn sign language and et cetera. Well, many people may not know, we, we've literally been together most of our lives. Yes. We met when we were teenagers yes. and we celebrated this past June 31 years 31 of years. marriage, three kids and two grandkids. Yeah. And I have watched- Three bonus children. Three. That's right. Three bonus children. I have watched you um, age gracefully. And well, mature. that's kind to say yeah, that. Yeah. No, most I, people I mean don't that. feel like they
1: they. And, <laughs> well, and what is all of this? I mean, yeah. you know, uh, most people don't feel like they age gracefully. So, well, I appreciate what, you what I mean that. by
0: that is that you have embraced every year, okay, and you have remained stunningly beautiful to me, and you have embraced maturity and growth, and have done everything you can to reach your full potential in each decade. I have tried. That, that's what I mean. Yeah. And so I've watched you age gracefully and mature into an exceptional leader and a mentor for others. Thank and you. I know you see the world differently today than you did three decades ago Absolutely. when you and I began our journey together. So this is a huge question, but I'd, I'd love for the I audience. I feel it. Yeah, I I'd, feel I'd, it's well, gonna be huge. I'd love for the audience to, to 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 be able to peer a little bit into your, into your mind, into your heart. So it's just really, it's, it's, it's a big question, but it's just one. I'd like to know what has shifted for you. What is different about how you see yourself and how you see people today than you did then? Because I remember when we got together, both of us saw the world similarly. You know, mm-hmm. we were in the same kind sure. of culture. And to be honest, we both wanted to go and change the whole world and, mm-hmm. you know, make a splash that would be felt, you know, everywhere. Uh, we still have a desire to yeah, make absolutely. a difference in people's lives and change. But obviously, you know, you're you're in your 50s versus when right. you're 19 and 20. But I'd like for people to hear your perspective on it, just one. I mean, you could give many, but just one major shift that has happened in the way you think and see yourself and see other people today
1: that is a huge question especially when you're talking about um the fact that like you said we were so young when we first met um 31 years married that's a long time it is that is a long time um and i would say you know to think about the thing that has shifted the most um I don't know so much if it is as a shift, but it's what you said, that as you grow older and you mature and you see the world differently and your world expands and grows, that you understand that there are things that are much deeper than what you see on the surface. I think that's probably something that I have had to, you know, come face to face with and understand that what we see from one another myself humanity as a whole is just what's on the surface people only see what they want you to see Hmm. what they allow you to see and i think when i was in my early 20s and you know when we first got married that i believed Everything that was right on the surface. And I believe that was actually who people were, what their dreams were, what their desires were. Whatever they said to me face to face, I believed that that is exactly how it was.
0: You, you took people at face value. Yes. And yeah. what
1: maturity has taught me is that they were not saying something to me that wasn't true mm-hmm. because nine times out of ten, that's exactly what they wanted to believe for themselves. Mm-hmm. They wanted to believe that they were who that person was, that they were showing in order to be, we do whatever we can do to be accepted. You know, that's one of the things that humans want is to be accepted and to be loved. That's the bottom so are line. are you
0: saying that that not... Because I have a, and you you know, I think anybody who knows me, and I've even preached on this this past Sunday, I've always had somewhat of a cynical attitude mm-hmm. about people. And that's and what been
1: very difficult it, it for has. me. I know it has. It has caused a, a real clash, right. I think, in a lot of ways in our marriage, mm-hmm. because I didn't look at people through a cynical lens. Right. I didn't look at people as if there were three sides to a story. I looked at people as this is the story. Right. And then I had to realize that a lot of times that wasn't the story.
0: But you don't so see I mean. it coming even the even the somewhat of a mask that they wore or a a presentation they gave that wasn't necessarily completely authentic. You still don't see that coming from a, a really bad place. You really think that that's a it's coming from their wounds or it's coming from maybe they just don't know how to behave in a particular environment where i would judge them as just being a hypocrite or judge them as being a liar you you still don't see that about people
1: no i have a really hard time labeling Hmm. anything um i think that when you label people you reduce them And, and it does make me emotional because when you label somebody you immediately reduce them to the content of the label yeah And it it like caps them. It caps their ability. It caps their dreams. It caps their... Their ability or their desire to even want to communicate with you because or communicate with me or whoever it is, because they can sense it. Mm -hmm. People know when you're being real. People know when they're being used and to label someone as being inauthentic or label them as um, being fake or being. You know, that's a harsh label, and yeah. they're going to carry that label. Even if they never hear you say it, right. they're going to carry that label based on the fact that someone has labeled them that way. Yeah. And so every other person that has ever heard that label about them, that's the first filter. Yeah. They've got to go through the filter. I think that we damage one another by doing that. We do. And. Um,
0: Unfortunately, I've, I've learned that the hard way. Um, I wish that I would have seen people more like you saw them. I've learned now in my life. And some of this came out even this past Sunday in the message series we were in, um, my judgment of people, labeling of people, I thought it was about them, but it was about me. Yeah. I was a wounded person. I was afraid of being hurt. Yeah, I was scared that this person would uh, betray me
1: mm-hmm. or
0: stab me in the back. That's a so I exactly, I just immediately I'm labeled
1: fight them. Fight and label yep. you. I'm going to lash out at you before I even come close. Yes to giving you the opportunity to wound yeah.
0: me. It's almost like I didn't even want to understand them. Right. I could just label them, and as soon as I labeled them, I put them in a category mm-hmm. where I could then dismiss that mm-hmm. entire category of people. Mm-hmm. And what is so sad to me, and one of the revelations, I guess, that I've had to learn is that that is the opposite of the gospel.
1: Yeah. It is
0: the opposite of who Christ is. Yeah. And one of that's the things that thing we for want me to, to, see to about do myself.
1: Uh, as Christians or as Christ followers or whatever vernacular you want to refer or we want to refer to ourselves as is that we constantly want to shout, your story matters. Your story is important. You know, we even did one of our door conferences, you know, that that right. was the theme is that your story matters. Your story matters. And. A lot of times it matters until it crosses over into my comfort zone. So your story is really important unless it starts hitting my triggers. And when it starts hitting my triggers of the things like you said, um, some of the things that uh, you had some childhood wounds that were very difficult to overcome that uh, resided in the area of trust and authenticity with adults. And it made it very difficult for you to trust and believe anybody that was going to get close to those um those roles to give yourself transparent to be transparent with people and i didn't grow up with that background i grew up with a background that was very trusting of people and so when we started this conversation saying you know what maybe is something that has shifted um my initial part of believing and trusting people and not labeling them was because I was taught that we are all equal and we all matter. But one of the hard realities that I've had to learn in, you know, we've been married for 31 years, we've been lead pastors for 27, you know, as far as just work, well, working in pastoral ministry for full time Um, for 27 is that... The story that we carry and the story that we present are sometimes very different.
0: Yes. Yes. Well, that has been a huge um, revelation for me. I've watched you live that. Um, I've learned a lot from you about how to see people. I wish that my story would not have been the way that it was for so many years, especially in our early marriage. I did carry a lot of cynicism. I mm-hmm. shared this with Force Park this past Sunday. If I had to list all the, you know, um, problems and personality quirks and frictions of our marriage, my cynicism would be close well, to the top. I just top.
1: didn't understand it. Yeah. I just didn't understand. I I couldn't It didn't make sense to me to just like throw a relationship away. Right. It just made no sense to me. Um, especially the threat of being hurt. So let me throw it away just with the threat.
0: Sure, yeah, Yeah. (laughs) And
1: I know you can think back those early years. It's like, well, I can tell that person might get close. I can tell. And I didn't know how to put it into words, Mm -hmm. you know, at 22, 23. Mm -hmm. Um, But now I realize (laughs) it was cutting them before they cut you. It's just like that um, quote that you said that went viral all over social media that about – Bleeding on people who didn't cut you. Yeah, and exactly right. I really believe I did that for years. That that's what
0: happened. Yeah. And what I've yeah. learned is you reflexively believe people and trust people, and must make a conscious effort at times to distance yourself from someone because there are times you have to do that. I, on the other hand, reflectively, <laughs> reflexively distance myself you from distance people first, right? Yeah, and I have to make a conscious effort. To trust and bring them in close and give another chance, you know, some of that is personality differences, but a lot of it is wounds and, and, you know, our own story of of our journey of how we got to where we are today.
1: Well, and I also would say that my just living a lot of my adult life with very little boundaries was not healthy.
0: Yes. I, I think part of that, you know, those who are listening and who are in ministry, pastors, I think i think many times we in our early years of being trained you know mm-hmm. in ministry we, we were told in an indirect way you yeah. know tear down the boundaries you yes. know tear down the walls believe all people you know you're a servant you know yes. so people you need to serve people and mm-hmm. wash their feet and take care of them and love them and all that's true but we were so young we didn't understand what all that really meant, mm-hmm. so we immediately got into ministry with an attitude of, "I'll just serve everybody, love everybody, do everything I can for people," and, and, and in the back of our head, and they'll serve me back and love me and back. It and was and
1: I mean, it was real. I mean, it was. It was coming
0: from a from a from a good place. It
1: was not anything that we manufactured. Right. I mean, it was it was inherently who we were, and it's inherently who we still are. Yeah. But as a result of you know growing up. Mm-hmm. And realizing that those boundaries, those lack, the lack of boundaries probably opened me up to relationships that um, weren't the most healthy. Right. And uh, I've had to distance myself, you know, from those, some of those areas, but it's still very difficult. Yeah. It is still very difficult. Yeah. And uh, definitely not my natural way, not my natural bend. Right. Um, but you know it's okay
0: yeah it is okay it is okay well another thing that you know i think people probably picked it up if they know you or they've been listening closely to this uh, uh, podcast interview is that you are an avid learner that's another thing that i have always found very beautiful about you and attractive is that you you've never stopped learning in these 30 plus years you know, we've been together. to read and consume
1: right. material, mm-hmm. especially new material, yeah. um, new authors, yep. yes, absolutely. Well you,
0: and one of the things I find so amazing is that you really have very few, uh, the cliche is, you know, sacred cows, yeah. to where, you know, don't touch this area. Yes. Everything is open for at least learning more about mm-hmm. and understanding, yes, I believe X, Y, and Z, but mm-hmm. I may not know everything there is to know about X, Y, and Z, and it yes. could change my perspective. So let me listen to this podcast, or mm-hmm. let me read this book, or let me listen to this interview or lecture. I've always found that quite fascinating because you're a lot of times when people get you know in their late 40s, 50s, or so, they just kind of go, well, you know, I pretty much know everything, or at least I've I've learned enough to survive in life. But you're not that way, and you're always pushing, and you're always learning, and it, you know I am too, and I, I at least I try to be, and I. Breathe bring things to you and rather hanging than hang you know rather than hanging it up you unpack it and you yeah. really pay attention to it. So I said all that to get to this point. What is something that you're currently learning? What is something that's kind of pushing you right now and that you're exploring a little bit? Do you find a certain passion maybe toward a particular podcast mm-hmm. subject or mm-hmm. a book or something that really grabs you today and pulls you in?
1: Yeah, that's easy. I am completely fascinated by the deconstruction of the church conversation.
0: Hmm. Yeah,
1: yeah, I um, never thought I would really see us here having these kinds of conversation about the church. Is the church in the United States needed? Is the global church needed? Is church um, going to look different? You know, in five to ten years, is there even going to be a corporate church? Did I ever need a corporate church? What did the church in the New Testament right. look like? So. Um, That is where my brain is right now. And so just kind of and again, it's one of those things that uh, I really appreciate what you said that um, because a lot of people aren't going to touch that area, especially in full time ministry, because of the fact that it could really shake your entire career and shake your faith and shake your who you are.
0: Everything you've given your life to.
1: But I didn't give my yeah. life to the church. I didn't give my life to ministry. I gave my life to Jesus. Yeah. I gave my life to a relationship. And I gave my life to making Jesus relevant and real to the lives of boys and girls and the lives of boys and girls and their families yeah. because... I grew up with a relationship with jesus as a very positive place and as a place that there was hope and I guess that's the best way to describe it is that when you feel as if there is no nothing else to do there's nowhere else to turn there's nobody you know like you are saying that you really trust there is a way to get quiet and just, you know pray and meditate or whatever it is that you do to find that you know and realize that a relationship with Jesus is real I don't know else how to say it other than it's real and it brings hope it's not just this mystical being that there is a sense of absolute groundedness and I think that's sometimes where that church deconstruction um, It can kind of go to a place that God is a mystical feature, Mm -hmm. you know, that is kind of floating in and out of your life and helping you to be a strong, good, moral person and making decisions, you know, that are for the good of humanity. And it um, can become a little bit um, more on um, fighting than it is in reconciliation. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to be a part of that. So... I want to be a part of reconciliation. Yeah. I want to be a part of being united. Right. And so that's just been really interesting. What too. What is
0: one with with the podcast you've heard, articles you've read, books you've read, what is one area you think, and you're, you, I'm kind of asking you to predict a little bit, but what do you predict will be different as a result of the pandemic and as a result of the deconstruction movement and all these conversations, which, which a lot of these conversations – I think, are healthy.
1: I think they're, they, they're very healthy.
0: There needed to be some questions raised. Mm-hmm. Uh, we went through a period of time in our in our nation, uh, in the religious community, mm-hmm. where if you stood on the stage, you were automatically authority. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever you said was true. Mm-hmm. And we've unfortunately seen a lot of scandals and a lot mm-hmm. of liars with a microphone. Absolutely. So the younger generation, you know, because of just... The I mean,
1: there's there's a
0: immersion of education, true and cynicism knowledge. that yeah. actually,
1: I don't know if cynicism is the word, yeah. but um, certainly it's okay to look at pastoral ministry, to look at the global church, certainly look at the church that's on TV in the United States, right. and ha- look at it with a critical eye, right? I think that is very helpful. So
0: we're, we're, what's a positive thing you think are, mm-hmm. it will come out of this?
1: Well, for one, I think it's got people asking questions
0: mm-hmm.
1: of leadership. Yeah. And those questions were always okay to ask. Yeah. And so many of the religious leaders, I'm not going to say globally because the church looks very different globally than it yeah. does in the United States, but certainly in our country. They needed to be questioned. They need it. I always tell folks, I mean, we are very much a small sphere in this specter, but I want people to ask us questions. I want them to feel that there is not one question that's off limits, because it's not. You know, that I want them to feel as if they can ask about anything that they've seen or done. Well, historically in the American church, if you were the one holding the microphone, most people sitting in the audience didn't feel as if they had the right that they could achieve that level of being able to ask questions but you know what we are all equal when it comes back to what we were saying at the beginning of the conversation Um, and so that's one thing I think is really positive um, is that religious leadership has had to answer about some very specific questions and the second thing that I think that has come out of this movement um, and it literally has started before the deconstruction movement i think it's been a part of conversation in a lot of places for a long time is just misogyny against women you know Mm. in the church i mean it is i am a woman obviously (laughs) and i have always been a woman that um, i was taught that it's okay to ask questions that it's okay to be confident that it's okay that to teach and talk about the bible and it's okay to um, share your story. And there are some churches that, and some religious movements that just prevent the expression of women. Yeah. And I think that the deconstruction movement has kind of cast more light on that. And I think that's a really positive thing, too, because, you know, we've said this at our church a lot that Jesus really loved women yeah. and that he really trusted women. Yeah. And that he identified women in leadership over and over and he over. He empowered them, lifted them. Empowered yeah. them Um, spoke to them with honor and respect no matter what their story or their background was. Um, And this is even in the Old Testament there are so many pictures of that type of compassion towards um, women and Jesus just fulfilled that every single day that He walked the earth. And um, so I think that definitely has caught attention to that. And I really, I mean, appreciate that you have always, I, I don't know really where that came from, but you've always had such an honor. You, I never sensed that you wanted to suppress I, I, me think, in I any think, area. I
0: think, you know, in my childhood and all the things that I've, you know, shared about my, you know, crazy journey, I had two women in my life who were very, you know, positive and I wouldn't be here if it were not for my mom and my grandmother yeah. i didn't have the dad and i yeah. didn't have the grandfather who died when i was 4 right so my grandmother really picked up you know a lot of the slack and taught me scripture and mm-hmm. you know was a very positive influence in my life my mom always ensured mm-hmm. i went to church and also you know, talked very positively about yeah. my future wife and, yeah. you know, and marriage and all those different things. Even though she had a lot of problems in mm-hmm. in marriage, she still talked very positively about the future marriage that I would have. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I had a very difficult time when I got married thinking yes. that women did not play a significant right. role and the development and shaping and forming of the next generation. And,
1: and had it not been for con- women, I don't think I'd be here. Contrastly, you know, my dad, very strong man's man. Yeah, right. You know, uh, but at the same time, he was looking at his daughters yeah. and saying, you can do what you want to do. You right. can be empowered. You are smart. You're intelligent. And hearing that from a father right. really emboldened, you know, a lot of it just woke up a part of my personality that was really fostered and my mom as well, but, you know, there was none of that. Let me suppress you because you're female. Um, It just wasn't a part of the story. You know, the other part that I, I feel like we can't talk about this without identifying as well that part of the reason why I've been able to accomplish and do the things that I've been able to accomplish and do was because you were not intimidated you know, by a strong female. But that also caused me to be free in our marriage. (laughs) So one of the best ways to create resentment in a marriage is to suppress who the other person is. And, you know, trying to conform them into being what you think they should be. And then when you throw in the Bible and say, this is what the Bible says you should be, when it's, very different than what their natural gifts and talents are, you are creating a disaster. And how many Christian, per se, marriages do we know? pastors and pastors wives that have been torn apart by that very thing yeah. is that either the wife was not being liberated to be able to be who she was and operating her gifts and talents or she was suppressing her husband and preventing him from being able to grow and thrive in his ministry and and I think that's why 50% of you know statistics you know in the first marriage more than 50 percent end in divorce and it is the exact same way and people who call themselves Christ followers yeah
0: yeah well I certainly brought a lot of stress and a lot of um, confusion no doubt to our early marriage well I don't want you to one... beat yourself
1: up about no that I too don't much. That, that's
0: just part and of that's my story my natural I don't now
1: that's my protection of you yeah so well I'm sorry. I, I don't now I I'm just saying podcast, but don't do it yeah
0: well I'm <laughs> just saying that I I did that but one of the things that I did I think reasonably well and some of it was just because I knew that you had these abilities talents and skills and if i would have even attempted really to suppress those things we would not be together today because it would have stifled you and it would have really drained every yeah. bit of joy in life out yeah. and um, I in some ways it was an accident yeah. that that i did it <laughs> uh but you know hey we're still together so.
1: yeah i um i don't know that i would say we wouldn't be together but i definitely would not be the person that i am True. today yeah i mean i think i was committed yeah. and i don't know that i would have walked away but I definitely wouldn't be happy. I definitely wouldn't have been fulfilled. I wouldn't have been able to have, you know, essentially three careers. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the Lord has opened amazing doors for me, sure. and uh, I've been able to walk through just, you know, that desire to learn and grow. Yeah. I never would have felt that freedom right. to do that. Um, so I feel very appreciative yeah. of that, and I don't, I don't take it lightly, and I know that. That that's a part um, that I always want to esteem, the importance of mutual respect, not just you know being a domineering husband over a submissive wife, or a mean, rude, unsatisfied wife who makes her husband's life torture. Neither of those are honorable. So there is when you come to it again. I guess this has been just what we what we are going to be the theme of this podcast, that mutual respect for another person, who they are, what they bring to the table, and not label them as someone who we think they should be, but stop long enough to listen and who they really are right. and who and know what their needs are. Listen to them long enough to know what their needs are, because it takes being quiet and listening to their needs, yeah. listening, giving them enough confidence to be able to express what they need and being honest about it. That's another thing I think that's been difficult for me is to just be very honest. Um, not about you know my story, not about um, who we are, what we've accomplished, and but just to know that it's okay for another person to carry my pain. Yeah, I think the fact of my role as a pastor, being in full-time ministry, in pastoral ministry, I have wanted to protect people from that. And there's been a couple of times that, you know, I've tried to be a little transparent and kind of got my hand slapped, you know, as you could say. And uh, because a lot of times people don't want to know that their pastors are hurting. True. And
0: um, it disrupts their world.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I feel like if I had done that earlier on, it wouldn't be such a disruption in some people's world. But, you know, you live and learn. Yeah.
0: Well, I I have to ask this question because, you know, obviously for the last, you know, two years we've been surrounded by the pandemic and um, the good, the bad, the ugly of the whole thing. Yeah. Um, Disruptions like these come once in life. I hope only once in life. Um, We can only pray. Yeah, we can only pray and hope they uncover some good things mm-hmm. and they uncover some not so good things. Okay. What do you wish you would have known prior to the pandemic that you now know? If you could go back and go, boy, I wish I had known that before this whole thing took off. Mm-hmm. What, what would you say?
1: I wish that it had not taken me so long to, understand the value of real what I call destiny friends hmm. i think i've always known i mean i i championed Friendship, a right. champion relationship. You know, I, when we first got into ministry, I remember a lady that had been pastoring, you know, she and her husband pastoring for like 20 years. And I mean, we really, I think we were at our first church way before we came to Forest Park. And she said, You're just going to have to learn that it's just you and your husband. And you're not going to be able to trust anybody. You're not going to be able to have friendships. You're just going to be, and you're going to, it's going to be okay. And I remember listening to her being very respectful. To what she was saying thanking her for her investment thanking her for speaking into my life but when i walked away from her my first thought was i refuse to live my life without friends yeah. i refuse and i've tried to maintain that mantra through everything through all of these years of ministry but it took being isolated from those destiny friends all of those months and not being able to put my hand on them, not being able to touch them, not being able to be with not being able to feel their heartbeat. Now, of course, we did everything through texting through virtual, you know, I started a virtual connect group, you know, for women and men, anybody who wanted to just needed to talk, you know, and uh, I mean, it had more than a hundred people and we were getting on every single day. Um, but that wa- those were people that um, there was still a part of me that wanted to minister, that wanted to meet people where they were. What I realized during the pandemic is that it was okay to let people love me. Yeah. I don't think I ever realized it until yeah. then. You know, it was one of the darkest years of my life, yeah. 2020, yeah. without a doubt. I experienced pain and disappointment and panic attacks that I had never experienced. But there were people that gathered around my heart and literally put the band-aids on it. Yep. And I survived it because yep. of those people. Yep. And it took the pandemic for me to realize who they were. Yep. I thought I knew, but it took the pandemic. For me to realize that yeah. so true
0: well let's um let's wrap up our time in a real positive note yeah okay uh in october
1: yes comes
0: the adore conference thank you again. for saying yeah, that we've had to cancel it twice yes and uh, as far as we know everything's on schedule for the beginning yes. of october, october so one and two. It, for those of you who do not know our 2021 yeah uh is our Women's Conference, Annual Women's Conference here at Forest Park. It's been a huge success in the past, and we're anticipating it being a wonderful again this year. So tell us a little bit about it as we kind of wind down what we're talking about
1: together. Well, we are, we've limited, just for anybody concerned about COVID and COVID-19 protocols, we've limited our number of tickets. So we're not going to pack our room full. So I want people to understand that there is going to be space. So that's the first thing. We will take all of the uh, precautions. Um, We are very concerned about making sure that we are not an incubus of spreading COVID. So we're going to do the very best that we can um, as far as that goes. Secondly, um, is that the theme of the Adore Conference is I am here. And where that kind of came from was the fact that we survived 2020. There are a lot of people that did not. There are people that lost their family members. They lost relationships. They lost um, so much loss. I can't. I can't even describe all uh, the loss that came as a result of COVID. But. There are people that are going to be gathering for those two days, and they are still alive. They are still breathing, and I think it's important for us to gather just for that concentrated focus to say we made it through this. No. And so, um, but of course, we're going to have a lot of fun, right. you know. So we've got a real '80s theme mm-hmm. kind of coming through. Um, we we love all of that. I love all that color. I want something really bright, and of course, our leadership team just really. Um, to, they've just ran with that and so the price of the um conference, uh, $55, but it covers your meals and it covers your t-shirt. And so you can register by going to fplive.org forward slash adore. There is also a place that if you want to be a VIP purchase, um, do that ticket. That's also going to give you a value, a bag, a swag bags, what we're calling it of, of, um, from our vendors and from other local, um, vendors here in Elizabeth city, that's well uh, worth more than what the ticket costs. And then you're gonna be able to have a lunch with our speakers and be able to have a QA and That's for the VIP. seating the VIP and yeah. you'll be able to have a seating. It. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely worth it. The value is way more than yeah. I think it's eighty-five for the VIP ticket. And it also includes your ticket. Right. I mean your um I'm sorry, your t shirt. Right. But the t shirt's the very least of as far as that VIP sure. ticket goes. And I think most of those are gone, but I do have a couple of more left. Okay. So if you've not then get on it okay. and you'll be able to do that. But I'm just so excited to have, um, the folks that are coming. Um, you know, Anthony Braswell, um, and his kids, uh, Marianne Braswell was featured. Uh, she was part of our very first door conference and she was, um, scheduled to be, uh, for our 2020 conference. And, um, she lost her fight to, um, metastatic breast cancer in December. And I talked to Anthony about dedicating the conference to her because it was she loved Forest Park. I mean, they passed her amazing church in Raleigh, but she loved these folks. She loved Ecuador. She loved going with us, and she loved me. And she wanted to be a part of that. And so um, I've asked him to come be a part. So it's going to be really special. And then um, we've got Blair Prophet, who was a part of Elizabeth City, a part of Forest Park, an amazing advocate for women. Ganelle Sutton, everybody knows her. She's been with us at our conferences for the last three years, four years, and um, there is nobody that captures an audience like Gunnell, and uh, I just had the opportunity to be a part of some of her other impact here in our city, and she is just a rock star, and then Nedra Tawab who is an author, a speaker, um, got her start on Instagram, she is a, a therapist in Charlotte. And I just started following her on Instagram, and when I started following her, she had 2,000 followers, and now she has more than a million. And she released a book um, about boundaries, and so she's going to be inspiring us all with her story. So there are so many things are, to say the about door. October the, 1st and 2nd. So
0: it's the first Friday and Saturday mm, of October. October.
1: Yeah. And then we've got a whole, I didn't even mention all of that. On Saturday, we have uh, 15 vendors that are going to be here selling um, their materials. Yeah. Their, we have jewelry and we have art and um, just all of the different things. I'm really excited about some of our local artists that are going to be here with their products. And um, so everybody is... Looking local. And so you get a chance to invest back into your city. Excellent.
0: Well, Lana, it has been an honor to have you again. Thank you. Yeah, to interview you. And and as we rebrand the podcast and relaunch it. And we've got some amazing guests coming up yeah. that I'm going to be interviewing. And I'm also going to do something a little different on this podcast. It's not all going to be guests. Yeah. I'm going to do some, um, we're going to open up some of the messages that I present on Sundays uh, yeah. and kind of dissect them a little bit. That's a great idea. But I'm just going to come in by myself sometimes yeah. and just share some thoughts and mm-hmm. and just to build a relationship with, uh, with folks who just want to learn and grow. Yeah. So anyway... Thank you very, very much for your time today. I love you. It's been an honor to be able to be beside you, walk beside you, learn from you, watch you, and uh, I just love being able to share at least a little part of you with some other people. Thank you.
1: Besties for the resties.
0: That's right. (laughs) Thank you for listening to the Holy Shift Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider letting us know. I read every comment, suggestion, or question. Also, if you like it, give us a positive review. Take care and we'll be back soon.